persecution increased as the gospel spread. The persecution was especially intense for Jewish believers because they had turned their back on the world and its ways. And they had abandoned the ordinances of the law, which Jews had embraced since the time of Moses. This left them in kind of a no-man's land. Jews, as well as Gentiles, who did not believe in Christ, could not, those who didn't believe in Christ could not understand them, nor would any tolerate their newfound religion. Without challenge or attack. Imagine yourself in the same situation. What if you were wrong about Jesus? What if he were not really the Messiah? And what about this new covenant? What if it didn't replace the old covenant? What if it what if you really did need a continuing blood sacrifice for our sins? What if? So that we could secure in our faith, that we could be secure in our faith, God moved an unknown author to write the book we call Hebrews. No other book in the New Testament gives us what Hebrews gives us. The assurance that we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. One who ever lives to make intercession for us. The mediator of the new and better covenant. Hebrews was written, different, different scholars <clears throat> have said different things about the time frame when it was written. But it was written before AD 70 because the book, because Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews, the author makes reference to the temple. And we know that the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So if it were still standing, the priests were still making these religious sacrifices. So it tells us that the book of Hebrews was wrote, was written before AD 70. So things before we need to look at. So let's look at, before we really jump in there, we're going to be going through the entire book of Hebrews. So this can be a few weeks, quite a few weeks study. Uh, so first, I want to look at the very end. It's like the last, almost third to last verse in the book. <clears throat> so Hebrews 13, 22. It says, But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. So it literally means listen to. We need to listen to this word of exhortation. So the writer of Hebrews was doing just that, exhorting his followers, his people that he was, his audience who he was writing to. So who was he writing to? Let's clarify that. We need to understand who was he writing to. So we gotta under we gotta realize that he was writing to Jewish believers and some Gentiles who were starting to feel this persecution <coughs> excuse me 
and they were starting to turn back, wanting to turn back to their old ways of animal sacrifices. But he, throughout this entire book, will see that he exhorts, like, whoa, wait a second, time out. What you just left didn't do anything. It's like a Band-Aid. All it did is cover the, it didn't heal the wounds. It didn't do anything. All it did is cover it. It's like a, taking a Band-Aid for cancer. I mean, or not taking an aspirin, I mean, said taking an aspirin for cancer, all that's going to do is relieve a little bit of the pain, but it's not going to get to the root cause, peeling the onion away, get to the core of the issue. And that's all the animal sacrifices did, is it revealed the need of a Savior. It revealed our sinfulness, our nature, our sinful nature, and the need for a Savior. So things we need to look at. So we looked at that, 1322, so it tells us we need to listen, listen to what the book of Hebrews says. So in order to grasp this awesome truth in the book, we need to first realize who it was wrote to. So make sure the reference to the recipients in, in a, it's, it's obvious that the words beloved and brethren refer to the recipients. Uh, so <clears throat> we need to obviously look at that reference, who he was talking to. Can we take principles from God's word that was wrote specifically for? Absolutely. We know that we have a mediator. We have Christ. We have that that intercessor that individual who is going to pray and give us that uh, boundary breaker. We have that boundary. There is a barrier between us and God, and that is our sinful nature. And there is nothing that we can do on our own to, to do. There's nothing we can do. Absolutely zero. So we need that intercessor. So that's what we need to know. We need to know who the author is. Well, we don't know who the author is. Unknown. Bunch of speculation. Not going to go into that. We know who it was wrote to. This is all about studying in context. And when we study the Bible properly, we need to understand these things. Who, what, when, where, possibly why. So we know who... Uh, the unknown author. We know who the recipients were. They're, they're new believers, Jewish believers, and some Gentiles. So we need to look at time frame. Time frame is really important because they were wanting to go back to the original, the old sacrament rituals, that old system that was broken, that was failed. So Christ came and said, well, we don't need to do that anymore. That he is the lamb. He is the ultimate sacrifice. So that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at roughly 13, 14 different weeks going on with this. I'll have some breaks here and there doing special messages. But I want to look at this book of Hebrews and really dive in and study verse by verse what this book really says. So the, let's jump right in. All right. So the Epistle of Hebrews, it's a unique book in the New Testament. It begins as an essay. 
verse chapter one, verses one and two, it's pretty much an essay. It progresses into a sermon uh, right around chapter two, one through four. It ends as a letter in 13, 22 through 25. So its contents are deep, very deep. Understand, you got to sit back and, and take little bites at a time to truly understand and grasp the book of Hebrews. And they're also challenging. What I, what I mean by challenging is it's going to challenge your understanding. Can't It's not just a superficial read like you'd grab a newspaper and just read it. You've got to sit down and really study and keep in mind the context. Always reading and understanding, listening listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to help you discern and understand the truth. And that is a key in understanding any biblical principle, gospel, the doctrines, anything, is allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate His truth, God's truth in His Word, allows us, allow Him to illuminate our minds to understand that so that's going to challenge you some find it very difficult and some find it equally difficult almost like revelation but if you're willing to take the time to read and reflect upon it it's totally worth doing an entire study on the book of hebrews okay so they meaning the jewish uh believers are reminded of how blessed they are to have trusted in Christ. So let's look at verse 1 real quick. And this is still just an intro. Today is just going to be, this message just going to be like an intro to the book. Just superficial intro and then we're going to really jump into it. So verses, uh, chapter 1 verse 3, it says, And he is a radiance of his glory. Who's he? Talking about Jesus is whose glory? Who's the radiance of whose glory? God's glory. And the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what does it mean? Wow, I, I, you can spend the entire day studying just that scripture alone. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his, God's, glory and the exact representation of his, meaning God's, nature. So right here, we're, it's the deity. It's obvious that the writer was telling these, these believers and exhorting them, please don't turn around. Look at God. Jesus is the exact representation of power. The exact representation. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature who upholds all things. So in in a sense, what he's saying is that Jesus upholds all things and the purification of sins. So what can take away the sins? Christ. That's it. These little lambs that they're slaughtering, nothing. That cannot take away the sins. And that's what the he, this is what this guy is saying. This is what the, the author, when I say this guy, means the, the author of Hebrews is saying. is like, wait a second, you guys are going back to a broken system. If it's broke, fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So he is exhorting them to listen to, listen to me, exhorting them, listen to me. Jesus is right here, the exact representation of God's nature. 
wow, I can spend all day just, just meditating on that alone. So they were impressed. They're impressed with the superiority of Christ and his new covenant over Moses and the, and the old covenant because he is. Christ is greater, obviously, than the old. And also they were warned of the danger of the apostasy going back and the need for being steadfast in their faith. And that we can see that in five. That's in, we'll deal with that later. With this lesson, I want to begin a series of different sermons based on this epistle. Why Hebrews? New converts turning back to their old ways to avoid persecution. Well, I'm sorry, guys, but uh, when we turned to Christ, well, let's look back. Let's look, look back at Jesus' team. Look at, look at Paul. Look at all the disciples. He didn't say, come to me and everything's going to be great. You know what? You're going to have nice mud hut, two floors. We're going to have a nice marble floor, running water and all that. And, oh, by the way, people are going to love you. Uh, no, what did Jesus say? They're going to hate you, but just remember, they hated me first. So we're in good company. It's not supposed to be some glorious, wonderful time. You can have joy in our suffering, in our persecutions. But joy is different than happiness. Happiness flees. Happiness is an emotion. We're not supposed to, but we, through our trials and our tribulations... If we put our trust and our love in Christ, then he will uphold us, lift us up when we're sinking in that mire, when we are sinking in our depression, when we are sinking in our anxiety, when we are sinking in our addictions, knowing we need to know that Christ is there for us. And then Christ will always be there for us. And that going back to our old ways is not a solution. It's not an answer. We can't, we cannot go back to our old ways. And that's what the writer of Hebrews was telling us and telling the believers there that you can't go back to the old ways. It's broke. That we need to be steadfast in our faith. Yeah, just as one should not begin a journey without some idea of where we are going. So it's beneficial to begin with a preview of this book. So you're not going to start a journey. You're not going to talk to your husband, talk to your wife, and say, well, let's go to a road trip. Where are we going? Well, I don't know. Let's just go on a road trip. You can't even get out of the driveway without knowing where we're going. Are we going to turn right? Are we going to turn left? Uh, you have to have some sense of direction, knowing where we're going. So, so it's benefit to it's it's very beneficial to preview what we're going to look at. So, of where we're heading, and what we expect to find. <clears throat> so, background real quick. We kind of went over the background a little bit. So, the author uh, doesn't event doesn't identify himself. The author is never identified. <coughs> excuse me, 
in the book of Hebrews itself. Many believe it was the Apostle Paul or like Clement of Alexandria believes it was, it was Paul. This seems unlikely in the view of the author's statement was, in here in Hebrews 2.3, it says, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Okay, Paul met Jesus, not just heard him. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So, uh, so kind of right there is like, eh, it's not really, not, not Paul. So read it again. Hebrews 2, 3, it says, was confirmed to us. So he's including himself. <clears throat> the writer is including himself in a group of people was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So people that it, it was confirmed by like possibly the disciples, uh, the apostles, so it was one of the 12 apostles or, or uh, a uh, any combination of the apostles would, would be those who heard him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, for Paul declared that he had not received the gospel from or through men. So, it kind of contradicts that statement that this gospel, the message, was confirmed to us, meaning whoever wrote it, plus other people, by those who heard it. So, Paul declared that he didn't receive the gospel from or through men. He received it from Christ himself. So, yet there are many arguments which favor Paul as the author. In the New Testament commentary, Robert Milligan, uh, on the book of Hebrews, but other names have been proposed over the years. Barnabas, suggested by Tertullian. Apollos, suggested by Luther. Uh, Priscilla, uh, uh, was suggested by uh, some guy named Harnack. And in the end, we can only say with origin, but who wrote the epistle? To be sure, only God knows. So origin, I think, has the most logical and best uh, answer to this is God only knows. So we're going to leave it at that. So the recipient's general consensus is that the letter was written to Jewish Christians, new converts to Christianity. But there is uncertainty as to where they and the author were at the time of the composition of this book. Most believe the recipients were in uh, Jerusalem and <clears throat> the author was in Rome. So the author was in Rome writing to the new converts, the new Jewish believers in Christ that were in Jerusalem. Others suggest the readers were in Rome and the author elsewhere, based on the possible implication in uh, Hebrews 13.24. In any case, they were Jewish Christians whom the author knew personally. So you can look at uh, Hebrews 10.34 excuse me, and then 13, 19. So that was Hebrews 10, 34, and Hebrews 13, 19. So the date of the writing, <clears throat> we know it was prior to 96 for Clement of Rome, <clears throat> quotes from Hebrews in his letter written at that time. <clears throat> excuse me. So we know that it was before 96 because it was quoted by Clement of Rome. Okay, There are certainly strong implications that it was written, as I stated previously, prior to AD 70. 
there are no mention of the destruction of the temple, of the uh, the destruction of Jer- uh, Jerusalem, I mean, and the destruction of the temple. So we need to be really, really clear. If the writer was writing after the destruction of the temple, why would he, why would they, him, whoever, why would the writer be telling them, in a sense, well, you can't go back to your old system because the temple is ruined. The temple is destroyed, so you can't go back. He's exhorting them not to go back to an old system. Well, if the temple wasn't built, they couldn't go back to the old system. And if Jerusalem was destroyed, they couldn't even go back to the town to go back to the temple to go back to the old system. So does that make sense? It does. So it had to have been wrote, written prior to AD 70. The author writes as though priests were still offering sacrifices, and that's in Hebrews uh, 8.4 and 10.11. So he's writing as if they're still doing the old sacrifices. So if that was happening, that means the temple was built, was still standing, and that would mean that was prior to AD 70. If the Jewish Christians were in Jerusalem, it is likely before or at the beginning of the Jewish wars in 66 to 70 AD. So in light of, we got to look at Hebrews 12.4 to look at that. So the time frame is often suggested that it's somewhere in between AD 63 and 65. So that kind of gives you a time frame of when this was wrote, when this epistle was wrote. So to prevent his readers from abandoning their faith in Christ. So what is the purpose of the epistle? So they wouldn't abandon the truth with Christ coming with all this persecution and name-calling. And it was probably more than name-calling. We saw what Paul was doing. It was horrific. People were being killed. They were being tortured, still being crucified. So it hadn't got to a point where it was this massive invasion of Rome and everyone was being destroyed. It hadn't reached that yet, but they were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. So he's writing this letter to prevent the turning away so they would be steadfast and be firm in their faith and keep going. He wrote it to encourage his Jewish brethren not to go back to the old law by showing the the superiority of Christ and his covenant, the new covenant, because the old covenant revealed sin, revealed the need of a savior. So the writer was telling them this new covenant, which Jesus set forth and, and began that night at the last supper. This is the new covenant I bring to you. So he's just showing them that this is superior. So a key word found throughout the epistle is better. It is better. Christ is better than the angels, Hebrews 1.4. We enjoy <clears throat> the bringing in of a better hope, Hebrews 
7.19. Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant, Hebrews 7.22. He is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises, Hebrews 8.6. The heavenly things benefit from better sacrifices, Hebrews 9.23. Indeed, the purpose of this epistle <clears throat> was to exhort his readers. Hebrews, like we already read at the very beginning, Hebrews 13.22. Listen to this exhortation. So, with this background to the epistles, we can look at <clears throat> some of the main focuses of and the main divisions of this book. And so once we get that down, we will get a really good idea <coughs> of where we're going to go for the next few weeks. With this background, we can continue our survey, and that's the survey through the entire book of Hebrews. So the main divisions of this book is, the first one is the superiority of Christ. Okay, and that's Hebrews 1, 1, yeah, Hebrews 1, 1 through 8, 6. So better than the prophets as a much better spokesman, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Better than the angels by virtue of his deity, excuse me, and humanity. And that's Hebrews 1, 1, 4 through 2, 18. Better than Moses, for he is the son who provides a heavenly rest. That was probably, I can't wait till that message. That's a really good, that heavenly rest is something that I really, really encourage. Uh, if you're not a believer and you just happen to be listening to this, whatever your stresses are, whatever your anxiety, depression, whatever it is, know that we have a heavenly rest, that all those things are gone. And I just encourage you. This first section, the superiority of Christ, it also better than Aaron. Christ is better than Aaron as his priesthood is superior to none. Meaning Christ's priesthood is superior to none. The second one is the superiority of the new covenant of Christ's covenant and that's Hebrews 8 7 through 10 18 that's Hebrews 8 7 through 10 18 that's chapter 10 verse 18 for it is based upon better promises 8 7 through 13 for it is based upon a better sanctuary 8 9 or Hebrews 9 1 through 28 and then it is based upon a better sacrifice what better sacrifice than Christ alone for our sins? To remove our sins. God himself came down as a man, humbled himself as a man, uh, to become a man, to become one of us. And what do we do? How do we treat him? Look at our world today. How many millions of babies have we slaughtered in the name of convenience? A lot of them. Most of them, I'd say. It's a sad day. Very, very, very sad day when the word abortion destroying 
human life out of convenience is in our vocabulary. In Christ, he came to save those little babies. <clears throat> our next section, exhortations drawn from this superiority to draw near to God and to hold fast, Hebrews 10, 19 through 39, to run the race of faith with endurance. You don't start a race expecting to not finish. That would be ludicrous. That would be dumb, to say the least. To start a race with not having the, the finish line as uh, our end goal. That would be kind of dumb. And then there's miscellaneous exhortations throughout the book in, in, the, in the last chapter, in chapter 13. So a unique feature of the epistle of Hebrews are the warnings throughout the book. As we conclude this introduction, as, as I want to conclude this, perhaps it may be profitable to summarize some of these warnings. The key warnings in the epistle. Okay, the warning against drifting. Okay, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Through neglect, we can easily drift away. And then we can become carnal Christians. Not really spirit-filled, not spirit-led. Saved, but zero, zero works, zero fruits. Just skating by the skin of your teeth not really living a spirit-filled life. The solution is to give the more earnest heed to the things we hear and the things we're going to hear throughout the study. The warnings against departing. Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. Through sin's deceitfulness, we can become hardened, and develop a lack of faith by which we can depart from the living God. A lack of faith. I have a friend that's going through some challenges right now, questioning his faith. Because he doesn't feel that, that spirituality and that, that spirit pushing him that joy, He's, it's letting the world dictate his spirituality. It's a scary place to be. The solution is to exhort one another daily and remain steadfast. The warning against disobedience, Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Like Israel in the wilderness, we can fail to enter our rest through disobedience. There's so many different things in the Bible that we are told that we need to do. But we as a stubborn people choose not to. We're going to go about our own ways out of convenience. We're going to do our own thing. And you know what? I don't care what God's word says. Because we're going to do our own thing because we have a sinful nature. And we don't trust God. I lived that life for many, many years, not trusting in God. 
<clears throat> got me in a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. I created a lot of heartache by disobedience. The solution is diligence and heeding and understanding and heeding and taking for not taking for granted but taking God's word and putting it in our hearts putting it in our minds putting it to practice and being diligent every single day in God's word the warning the warning against dullness Hebrews 5:11 through chapter 6 verse 6 dullness of hearing can make it difficult for us to appreciate the extent of our blessing in Christ and even falling away to a point of crucifying the Son of God afresh, anew. Scary place. The solution is grasping the first principle of the oracles of God and then pressing on to spiritual maturity and perfection. We're not going to reach perfection while we're here on earth. But you know what? We are told to strive towards that. Strive to be perfect. Okay? And everything we do, if we are striving to be perfect like our Savior, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Striving towards that. That's a goal. You are who you hang out with. Who's your influence right now? Who do you listen to? I know you're thinking of some things right now. Think about who do you take advice from? Who do you take your uh, financial advice from? Your broke friends, your broke neighbor? Wow, yeah, I wanna see what your portfolio looks like. Who do you take your spiritual advice from? Your local Benny Hinn, your Kenneth Copeland, your Brian Johnson, uh, or Bill Johnson, Brian Houston. I mean, all these heretics that are out there. Do you take your spiritual advice from them, which will lead you down the wrong path? You'll feel this feeling of emotions and happiness, but there'll be no true joy in it. And we know that. The possible, the warning against despising. It is possible to so despise God's grace as to no longer have sacrifice for sins, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment. The solution is to hold on to our confidence in Christ and believe with endurance. The warning against defying. It is possible to refuse to listen to the one who now speaks from heaven. heaven. It is. We can. We can refuse to listen and take heed or, or take heed his warnings and heed his advice, the Holy Spirit. We can close off our minds to the Holy Spirit. God gave us a free will to do that. So if we want to practice our free will, then we can ignore his advice and not listen to the one who speaks to us from heaven the solution is to look diligently to the grace of God and it's only by grace that we have the breath that we have every breath we take the fact that we wake up in the morning 
is solely by God. It is only by God that we can wake up. It is only by God who sustains our life. That is it. The solution is to look diligently to the grace of God, receiving it in such a way so we may serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So, concluding this introductory message with such warnings, this book is indeed a word of exhortation, exhorting us to listen to the writer, listen to God. As we proceed through the book in the coming weeks, it will be my intent to remind you of how blessed we are to have trusted in Christ. I want to impress on you the superiority of Christ and his new covenant over Moses and the old covenant. And I want to warn you of the real danger of apostasy and the need for steadfast in faith. So my task will be easy if I am faithful in letting this book speak for itself. That is my hope and prayer. I don't want to add my two cents and eisegesis, meaning putting my interpretation into this book, but I want to extrapolate, I want to take out of this book God's word, God's intent, and his spiritual and his meaning out and how we can apply that to our everyday lives. So that is my prayer, that we will look at this entire book uh, from the very beginning, all 13 chapters broke down into easy bites. So my goal by the end of this series is that we have a grasp of who Christ is, the superiority of Christ, that he is our high priest, that he is the ultimate sacrifice, and there is no other. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Oh, I lift up the the people that hear this message, and I lift us up to you right now, that we can, through the weeks to come, get a better grasp at your word and understanding who Christ is in our lives and what he does in our lives and how the Holy Spirit illuminates his word to us. I thank you for this time, and I lift this up to you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.